there's times I'll go in my office and I'll open up the blinds and I'll, I'll cry like a little newborn baby because I want people to see there's vulnerability and I'm under authority and they get their work done. You know, there's times that I'll fire myself in the office when we don't hit our goals and I'll rehire myself, but I show them. Try bringing in a character. It makes kids laugh. Why wouldn't it make adults laugh? Get out of here. You know, have a day where people can make fun of you. You know, let them throw and hurl jokes at you. How do, what do you think my pillow looks like at night? It's direct from the tears. How do you follow that? Like with anything that's serious or spiritual or whatever. Wow. It's great to see you again uh, at Life Church today. And if you have your Bibles, if you turn, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. We get there in just a minute, but Matthew chapter 8. And uh, I'm still just trying to get over my, Kevin on that screen like that with those glasses. So anyhow, pray for Kevin. Uh, that's really his true self and calling right there. So <laughs> Yeah, I am filtering so much right now, people. If you knew really what was going through my mind, it wouldn't be good. So anyhow, we are in this series on leadership. And, uh, and so I kind of want to pick up where we left off last week. And, uh, but we're last week, this week, and uh, next week we'll kind of conclude this three-week series. And then two weeks from today is Easter, uh, this we Easter weekend. And so I hope that uh, there's invite cards there that you received when you came in and you're in the service program guides. And if you just take those and invite and, and people that you've invested in relationally and use your influence and your leadership, uh, I really believe that's going to be an incredible weekend. More people are likely to come to church on Christmas and Easter than any other time of the year. And the number one reason why people come is because somebody invited them. And so I encourage you, whether you're a student whether you're uh, wherever you are, uh, you're grown adult, you're married, kids, empty nester, wherever, single, married, whatever, invite someone, bring someone with you and let them be a part of that weekend experience. Uh, today as we kind of, we're talking, last week we, we defined kind of what leadership was, today we're going to talk about self-leadership. And, and basically in essence, is, this is a, a new definition, but leadership is influence. And and because leadership is influence, everybody influences somebody. We all influence somebody. And because we all influence somebody, everybody then is leading someone else. We're all leaders. And, and I really want to drive home this point because I got, I got a lot of uh, just some good positive feedback this week from, from a lot of people at the church just saying, hey, man, I took a new job. This was helpful to me. Uh, I'm, I'm stepping to a new, new area of, of, of kind of... of uh, Leadership, and this was really helpful to me. Uh, I had quite a few people go, hey, I know not really everybody's a leader, but it's kind of nice, Pastor, how you really kind of make it sound like everybody's a winner and they're not. And No, no, really. I, I believe this. And I, I understand that statistics say that only 3% of people are natural-born leaders. But the reality is, is that we all have influence. And how we use that influence and how we garner that influence and what we do for that influence really is leadership. And it doesn't matter who you are, there are going to be people, I'm telling you, in your life that are going to look at you or some aspect of your life and you're going to influence them. And so where is your life pointing? Where is your life leading? And so there's two, two groups that you're always going to be influencing. The first area that you're going to lead is yourself. 
And the second area is going to be others. You're always going to be leading yourself and others. And so today I want to talk about how do you lead yourself? There's a lot of, there's a lot, you can Google this. There's a ton online about this subject. There's a lot of, this is something that's really become something that's kind of a, I talked about subject in the last 20 years. But what we found is, is that if I can't lead myself, I, I, I can't lead other people. And if I don't have moral authority in my life, then I'm having to manufacture energy in my workplace or in my relationships in order to get people or to persuade people. And, and it shouldn't be that way. I, it should flow very naturally and, and almost authentic, uh, an authenticity, a level of authenticity should just come out of who you are. And so self-leadership is something, leading yourself is important. And, and I'm just going to tell you the key uh, to self-leadership is being a person under authority. This is not popular at all, but it's true. The key to, to, to self-leadership, to leading yourself, is to be a person, not of authority, but under authority. And, and I would just right there, maybe kind of mentally, even if you're pushing back on that, that's okay. If you're giving me the old classic Heisman, that's all right. If you, don't, if you disagree with it, that's fine. You don't have to agree with anything I say. I, I, I am going to do my best to present this subject in, in a manner that I think is, is biblical and solid and sound. But I want you to ask yourself this simple question just mentally. Who, whose authority am I submitted to? Who am I following? Now, this is easy to go, well, I have a boss, and I'm not asking that, because listen, if you talk trash about your boss, and you're disloyal to your boss, and then you talk trash about your company, and, and you take a paycheck on one hand, and then you go, you go blast them on the other, you're not following them. You're just trading days for dollars. Let's just call it what it is. If I'm truly submitted, if I'm truly under someone's authority, I'm going to follow them. It doesn't mean I'm always going to agree with them. It doesn't mean that I might not have questions. It doesn't mean that we're always going to, to, to be in perfect harmony. But what it does mean is that I am choosing that I am going to submit myself, that I'm going to reduce myself, that I'm going to follow, that I'm going to uh, give up a, basically some of what I have in order to submit myself. Again, this isn't a popular subject, but it's true. Tolstoy said this. I love this. Everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to change themselves. But in order to change the world, it begins with you. Because the problem is you. <laughs> right? The, the, the issue isn't somebody else. It's you. It's me. And if I just change me, if I just deal with me, if I just handle me, if I just start here with me, things can be different. I want to show you this in Scripture. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is, is, he's began his earthly ministry. He's healing the sick. He's doing incredible things. And there's an individual, a centurion is what he's called, referred to, um, who, who approaches him. Now, the centurion would have been, you know, again, Israel was under Roman occupancy. So the centurion was a Roman official. And if you do a little studying just on what a centurion was, they were highly decorated, high-capacity Roman officials that came from a military background. Uh, it would be more like, you think of it in our context, it would be like a West Point graduate, top of their class. And they were trained to, first of all, they were trained physically to be able to uh, physically uh, kill within a six-foot to eight-foot radius of anybody that came in contact with them. It's a little Jason Bourne going on here, all right? 
You people read the Bible way too sanctimoniously. I'm just telling you, watch some movies. It'll help you. So a little Jason Bourne happening right there. Uh, they were people, they, they were men who were men's men. Uh, they, were, um, they, they were taught to be very, they, they were taught to be strong and somewhat hard, uh, not for the sake of being bitter or mean or rude, but in order to protect the hopeless and those who were in need. They were taught to come to defense of Rome at a moment's notice, and they were also taught to learn how to lead other men into battle and lead other men into any type of military ops that were needed. These guys were able to lead anywhere from 100 to 400 men would have been in a particular platoon or battalion that would have followed them. Uh, their, their regalia, their, their, their outer garments would have been uh, very ornate in a certain way, uh, very uh, a fest festive in a way, but much like a, a soldier's military outfit. Again, a lot of what, where we get a lot of our military and the United States, and even a lot of our uh, special ops, uh, SEALs, um, Green Berets, it comes back from this guy out of these Roman centurions. These were highly decorated officers who had a high level of character and integrity. They could fend for themselves physically, mentally, socially. They were able to lead at the very highest level. And a centurion approaches Jesus with a need. And that's where we pick up this story in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. When Jesus entered into Capernaum, a centurion came to him and asked him for help. Lord, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come to heal him? But the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Again, Jesus has not encountered this to this point. Everybody that wants something from Jesus, they want Jesus to come to them. This is the only person that's gone to Jesus. It's important that you understand that. We'll get to that in just a minute. Verse 9, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. This one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does that. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. For I tell you that many will come from the east and the west, will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. The only place that we see in the New Testament, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where someone comes to Jesus and they're looking for something, do they not ask Jesus to come to them? I mean, even like Mary and Martha uh, and Lazarus, who they were personal friends with Jesus. I mean, they, they had a personal relationship. They get upset with Jesus because he didn't come fast enough. Everybody is yelling out to him. Blind Bartimaeus along the road is yelling out to him, son of, son of God, son of David, have mercy on me. Everybody wants Jesus to come to them. But the centurion is the only one who sees a miracle happen that comes to Jesus. Why? Because he wasn't just a man of authority. He was a man under authority. We live in a world where we want, everybody wants to be of authority, but nobody wants to be under authority. Everybody wants to lead, but nobody wants to follow. And the truth of the matter is the way to the master's chamber is through the servant's quarters. 
You cannot give people what you do not have. You cannot lead where you have not been. You, you have to develop that. That has to be something that's grown in your life. And so we put people beyond their own level of competency. We, we propel people into situations that they don't have the ability to handle. We thrust people into the limelight and all of a sudden they're in front of God and everybody and they want to be people of authority. What they want is power, which is different than authority. I'm going to talk about that next weekend. But nobody wants to be under authority. But this centurion who had servants, who had legions of men that were under him, who was highly educated and highly decorated, who would have been quintessential to a, a West Point graduate would be for us, said, there's no need for you to come, Jesus. You just need to speak the word. That's what I do. When I say to this soldier, go, he goes. And this soldier, come, and he comes. To this servant, do this, and he does that. See, there's even a difference between the levels of people that are under him. All you need to do is say the word. And it'll be done. Jesus stops everything. He's in the middle of like a full-blown, I mean, just... I mean, he's healing the sick and open blinded eyes and all this stuff's going on. I mean, he's in the middle of his day and he just does like a, just a time out. Like, and he wants the disciples to understand this guy gets it. He gets it. And he's not Jewish and he gets it. And he's not necessarily a Christ follower and he gets it. But he sees the power, he sees the authority in Jesus and he understands that Jesus has the authority. And in order for him to receive from Jesus what he needs, he has to get under the authority of Jesus. See, when we come to Jesus, we don't come to Jesus and go, hey, God, let's make a deal. He's not Monty Hall, right? Anybody back in the day? Okay, thank you. A lot of kids are going, what? You missed out on so much rich American history. I'm just sorry. You don't come to God and make a deal. You don't need an arbitrator. You don't need an attorney. You, you come to God and you go, God, here I am. And if you can use me, here I am. And God, if you can help me, here I am. And with all of my jacked upness and all of my messed upness and all of my issues, I come before you and I just surrender myself to you. And if there's anything that you can do, I surrender all. I don't go like I'm making a deal on buying a car on the car lot. Hey, you know, what if you give me this and I give you that and we take this and take that? And how about this? Let's get this rebate. And what about this interest rate? And hey, what if we throw this in? Hey, what about this? Can I get some, a couple free car washes and some oil changes? That's not how you do it with Jesus. And the centurion got it. And I want you to understand that what it means to be under authority, where he says that in verse 9, for I'm a man under authority and I'm a man of authority. And just let me help you with this. I'll talk more about this next weekend. You can never be a person of authority if you refuse to be a person under authority. It is mutually exclusive. It does not hold any water. Corporately, secularly, or biblically, more, more, more importantly. Oh, you can have a good run for a good stint, but it's going to boomerang back around on you. And, and it's going to knock the legs proverbially out from underneath you. Because in order to lead, you've got to first be able to follow. And what it means to be under authority is a word that nobody really likes to deal with, and that's the word called submission. Submission. I have to be willing to give up my rights. I have to be willing to give up my agenda. I have to be giving, willing to give up what I want to do and how I want it to be in order to give it up to the person in authority over me. Questions on submissions. 
These are things for you to ask yourself if you're submitted. Because I think a lot of times people think they're okay. And I'm not judging you, man. I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food, right? Don't hate me because you ain't me. I'm, I'm, I'm not throwing any rocks, all right? Don't drink, I'm not drinking any haterade. But I'm simply saying, I think a lot of times we think, well, yeah, man, I got a boss. But you talk horribly about them. You're not submitted to their authority. You're there for a paycheck. Uh, well, I, but you know, man, I, I got people in my life. No, 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 no. You want to argue with your parents. It's the reason why God gives us. God always works through authority. It's the way he works. Men want to abdicate their roles spiritually and go, well, hey, I'm just going to leave that to my wife. She prays a little bit more than I do. That's kind of her thing. No, sir. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't get to give your role up. You're the head of your home. You're not better than your wife. This is a tag team sport. It's equal value, but different function. But you have a role and you have to lead. And the only reason why she's leading is because you refuse to do what you're supposed to do. I've never encountered a woman that comes into my office and says, Pastor, I really, really, really want my husband just to move over and take just the back seat and let me lead. No, contrary. Most of the time, they're like, I just wish he would just take that spiritual leadership. And I just wish that this would. I don't do counseling, so I don't hear that very often. But you understand, it's, it's submission. This goes against who we are as people. It goes against our very flesh. It's counterintuitive. I want to lead. I want to be in the, begin, uh, the first. I, I want to have control. But that's not how the Bible puts it. So here's questions to ask yourself. Am I submitted? First of all, am I submitted? Most people say yes. Second question, well, to whom am I submitted? Seriously, write it down. Who are you submitted to? Who have you submitted yourself to in your life? See, for the, the centurion, it was senior officers. He understood the chain of command. For the centurion, it was Jesus. He understood the chain of command. He understood that in order to get what he needed to get, he had to submit himself. Jesus didn't need to submit himself to him and come to him. He had to submit himself to Jesus. Where did he learn that? Military school. I think we should put all of our kids in boot camp. Just a thought. I'm just joking. So I got a couple of amens. All right, it's getting bratty in here. All right. Proof of submission would be the third question. Where's your proof of submission? If you really were going to have to defend yourself, and you don't need to defend yourself to me, but just, just internally, mentally, you're walking through this, am I a submitted person? Am I a person under authority? What proof do you have that you're submitted? And a paycheck doesn't count. See, for the centurion, it was the fact that this is what he had given his life to. Submission requires two things. One is self-awareness. For you to be truly submitted to an authority, you have to be self-aware. You've got, you got to know who you are. A definition of self-awareness is the ability to acknowledge and understand one's values, one's perspective, one's strengths, one's weaknesses, one's leadership, and one's emotional needs. That's what it means to be self-aware. I work with a lot of 20-somethings. And I find a very low amount of self-awareness. I find a high level of want to get to the top, but a very low amount of being self-aware of 
where they're good and where they're not and where, they're, where their values are and what their perspective is. And we mentally, cognitively a lot of times know this, but we don't really line this out. I also find, too, that a lot of times as I get older that I have this missional drift, that, that, that mission, that it, vision kind of leaks. It kind of wanes. And so I started red hot in my passion for Christ, and I started really wanting to do great things for God, but I just kind of settled. Because the, the enemy that I have is not the devil, it's comfort. Right? I don't want to run around the block. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, all right, when I was in Bible college, I was single. I mean, I, I'm good looking. I understand that. But, but, but I was skinny. I, I was trying to catch Tammy's attention. Hello? Holla? Right? You understand what I'm saying? Today, I just buy bigger clothes, man. It's Easter time. I love Easter candy. Anybody else? Do you know how many Cadbury eggs I've eaten since they put them on the market? First day, somebody sends me a text. Ding! I'm going to CVS because I'm getting some Cadbury eggs. Holla! I'm just saying. I, I don't, I don't, I get this missional drift. I, I start red hot and my passion for this and then, oh, it didn't really matter. And, oh, and it just kind of. That's what happens. We're either young and dumb or we're old and lazy. Woo, don't shout me down when I'm preaching. Good. If I had a Hammond B organ and a black choir, we have some church up in here. You know what I'm talking about? Just say, ouch, oh me or something. But it's you. It's true. I'm just saying. This is what we battle against. And we have this false perception of who we are. Let me, let me read you this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5, 6, 7, 8. On the subject of self-awareness, look at how Christ viewed himself. Look at this in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Notice there's a colon there, which means he's going to tell you what the mindset is, the perspective is, the value is. Verse 6, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made of himself Nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, submission, to death, even death on the cross. Even Jesus Christ had a high level of self-awareness. Self-awareness is real simple. I know who I am and I know who I'm not. I know who I am. Nothing wrong with confidence. Nothing wrong with a good amount of self-esteem. Nothing wrong with that at all. Now, you don't need to have like a, a swagger to you, but nothing wrong with saying, hey, I know what I'm on this planet to do, and I know what I'm created to do, and I know what the vision that God has for my life. I know what that calling is. But I also know what I'm not called to do. I also know what's, what's not in my gifting to do. I also know what's not in my lane to do. And the question is, do you have a real picture of who you are? Are you self-aware? And the instant answer is yes. Well, if you really think that you do, go to someone who has a gift of candor that will speak candidly to you in private and let you sit down with them over a cup of coffee and let you explain who you think you are, what you think your strengths are, what you think your weaknesses are. 
and then let them give you feedback. Like, I don't think I talk that much. <laughs> Ava, be quiet on the front row, right? I do, but I'm saying, have you ever watched American Idol? And people get on there and they actually think they can sing? Seriously, that's a great example of a lack of self-awareness. It's like, seriously, I know some people do it as a stunt, but there are people like, like I can't believe he said that about me. I just, it's like, you can't sing. Man, you couldn't find a note if somebody handed it to you. You have, right? But there's no self-awareness because nobody in their life either candidly sat down with them out of love and just said, listen, uh, I want to help you, but this probably isn't your best gift. Or they never asked. Submission also requires self-management. Self-management. So self-awareness, I got to know who I am and what I am, what I'm not. Self-management is the ability for me to nurture and harness my passions, my emotions, my abilities, and my leadership capacity in order to make decisions and to live out my calling. So I've got to not only, when I'm talking about self-leadership, not only do I have to make sure that I keep a really good gauge on who I am and who I'm not and what I'm called to be and that I'm really in tune with that, that I'm self-aware. Being submitted means I'm self-aware. I know where my role is. I, I know where I start and stop. But I also have to manage all of these things in me. And here's the thing, guys, none of us are perfect. And all of us have strengths that are incredibly, incredibly amazing. And you need to play to those strengths, but we have to minimize those weaknesses. And the ability to play to your strengths and minimize your weakness is the ability called self-management. You have to manage you because nobody else is going to do it. And in the world, in the litigious society in which we live in, employers even, even today, they're not going to really tell you what they think because somebody's going to sue them or someone's going to, to come after them. And so you, you've got to learn how to manage yourself and, and manage those gauges and look at this. I want to show you an example of this in Scripture. It's in the life of David in 1 Samuel chapter 30. David was involved in war. He was the king of Israel, and he was involved with, this, with, uh, with the Amalekites and, and, and this complete uh, fighting, and, and everything was, it was, was in disarray. And he had had a horrible day. I mean, it was a day where, where the guys that were following him began to wonder if he could really lead. They began to wonder if he could really do. Uh, it, it was costing him personally, and his whole world was coming apart at the seams. But I want you to know, I want, I want to show you something in this passage. And, and you could read it in 1 Samuel chapter 30, the entire verse chapter 29, then you go through verse 30, to chapter 30. But I just want to look at a couple of scriptures there. You can see, though, how he responds to the tension, how he responds to the distress, how he responds to the failure, how he responds to the, to, to, to the attacks even on his leadership and the personal costs that are at risk. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 3, when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. These guys were all fighting with David at David's leadership. David and his men wept aloud till they had no more strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. Go down to verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. These guys were just fixing to go AWOL. Just, we're done. 
This has cost us too much. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his own sons and daughters. Look at this next line. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Verse 8. David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? And in the following verses, God begins to respond that, yes, you will, and that I'll give you strength. But in the middle of everything, instead of David defending himself, instead of David trying to get guys to quiet down, instead of David trying to manage everybody else, what does he do? He manages himself. Why? Because I can't change you. I, 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 I don't have control over you. And right now, David's going, look, I, I have wept until I have no more tears to cry. I have cried till I have no more strength. And now everything is imploding in upon me. Everything is folding in upon me. And at this point, the only thing I can do is go find my strength in God. I've got to get alone with God because only God can help me manage me so then I can manage others. If you fly on an airplane, every time you get ready to take off, they tell you, should the oxygen levels drop in the plane, there will be oxygen masks that will drop in front of you. If you have a child with you or someone that needs help with you, please secure your mask first, then take care of the person that's in need beside you. Why? Because if you lose oxygen, not only are they impaired, but you're impaired. Now there's two people that are impaired. If you take a life course, a, a, a life safety course, a water, like uh, keeping people from drowning, I'm trying to think, life, what is that? Lifeguard, lifeguard course, I'm sorry. Just work with me, people. I, I need to eat right now. My blood sugar is getting real low. I've had too many Cadbury eggs today. So anyhow, if you do that, they tell you that when you go to save a drowning victim, that if that drowning victim will not relax enough to trust you, to allow you to pull them in, to let them go. Because if you don't, they will take you and them down with you. If you don't manage yourself, you'll never be able to manage your marriage. You'll never be able to manage your family. You'll never be able to manage your job. You'll never be able to manage your education. You'll never be able to manage your business. You'll never be able to manage your ministry. You won't be able to manage anything that God wants to give you. And it may be the reason why some things aren't happening like they need to be happening in your life is because you're not managing yourself very well right now. And God wants to bless you, but you have to manage well what he's given you. Before David deals with anything, he deals with himself. Self-management relies on three things. First is a picture. Do you have a clear vision of what you're called to do? Do you know why you're here? Do you know what you're doing? Do you understand what God's called you to do? David did. He knew the calling of God. He knew why he was king of Israel. He understood. That's the reason why he didn't find strength in those men. He didn't find strength in being king. He found strength in God. Secondly, a plan. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to grow yourself? What are you going to do to develop yourself? That's the reason why David goes and gets along with God. God, what do I need to do? Do we plan? Do we attack? Are we going to have success? What do I need to do? Why? Because the strength comes from the Lord. It's what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 18. I do what I see the Father doing. That's the reason why personal devotional time with Christ on a daily basis is so important. It's for me to push away from every pressure, push away from everything that draws and pulls on me, push away from my business, push away from the ministry, push away from relationships, get along with Jesus and go, Jesus, what do you want me to do? 
See, because here's the deal is you will go nuts trying to manage everybody else. You will go nuts trying to manage everybody else's expectations and everybody else's wants and wishes. Your kids, your parents, your spouse, your, your coworkers, your business, your, your customers, your market, trying to find out which way the wind is blowing. You will go crazy. That's the reason why God says, if you will seek first me, then all of these other things will be added unto you. Do you have a plan? Simply, what are you doing to grow yourself? I have a self-growth plan. This is what Aaron's doing to grow Aaron. This is what Aaron's doing to develop Aaron. Because guess what? Aaron's only as good as last week's sermon. Oh, he's not that good anymore. He used to really be funny. <sighs> he's lost it. We joke, but it's true. So if I'm not growing me, I can't grow the church that God's called me to lead and pastor. I learned this in youth ministry. I cannot give those students what I don't have. And I cannot lead them where I've not been. And, and I used to do this with youth sponsors. Hey, we're going to have kids go on a, on, a, on, a, on a retreat. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I'm going to call the students forward. And I want you to lay hands on those kids. And I want you to pray for them. And I want you to pray this prayer. God, what you've done in me, I pray flow through me to do in them. And then they would look at me like, are you serious? Like, I, man, dude, I, I, I play video games, man. I, I'm not like prayed up and ready. I mean, do, isn't this your job? No. God flows through you. It's leadership. Everyone is a leader because everyone has influence. What's your plan? How are you growing yourself? How are you developing yourself? And then the, the third the key to self-management we see here is priorities. What are your priorities? I have priorities, really? List them out. And then ask yourself, am I living those priorities out in my life? I want to put God first, my family second, work third. Really? Is that why you haven't read your Bible in three weeks? We all do this. You go, well, you don't do it. No, because I have to read the Bible just to get a message. It's an occupational hazard. If I'm not careful, the Bible becomes a work tool. I read the Bible all the time. What I have to do is I have to fight to have that alone time just like you do. Because every time I read the Bible, all that I did for study for this sermon doesn't count as my personal devotion to God. This is what I'm doing to serve you. I got to get alone with God so that God can serve me. It's the same thing. Bottom line is that leadership, the issue is not wanting to be a person of authority, but willing to be a person under authority. Submission. Because before I can lead other people, I've got to be willing to lead myself. And that's the biggest question. Are you leading you? Because when you lead yourself then you truly can have influence over other people. I meet people all the time that say, man, I'd like to do something great. Really? How are you doing with you? You know, like, I want to do this and I want to do that. And, okay, well, great. Well, tell me what you, what have you done? Don't tell me what you want to do. Tell me what you've done. Well, not, not a lot, but, but I want to change that. Well, no, no, no. Tell me what you've done. Because past behavior many times is the best indicator of future behavior. And I, and I understand 
But Jesus changes it all. I get that. I, I do. But if we're not careful, we get into this little, it's like a termite and a yo-yo. We just kind of go around and around and around. And, and we just, it's like a dog chasing his tail. And we think that we're something that we are not. And that we're doing something that we are not. Don't tell me what you want to do. Tell me what you've done. Don't tell me what you want God to do. Tell me what God is doing. Don't tell me what you think. Tell me what you know. Don't tell me what, what you'd like to do. Tell me what you've done. Where have you been? What's God doing? Because it's in those moments that you began to develop you to be what God wants you to be. And you began to develop your leadership and your influence. I hope you get that. I hope you understand that God has uniquely gifted you and put you in a place and a proximity with people that I will never come in contact with. But he's placed you there with those people to be an influence to them. But you cannot influence them if you cannot influence yourself. You have to lead you first. You have to follow your own teaching first. You have to submit yourself first unto Christ. Before I can become a person of authority, I have to become a person under authority.